This afternoon, we are studying uh, Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we will now read Lord's Day 24 together. So in Lord's Day 23, we learned again how we are justified by faith alone through the work of Jesus Christ alone brings us to Lord's Day 24. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned, it is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No, it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. As far as the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, good works are important. They're important for Christians. Obedience to God's law is important. And we know this intuitively. And the Bible, of course, makes this quite clear. I listen to only a few passages of Scripture. Christ says in Matthew 5, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul tells Titus in Titus 3 verse 8, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then only a few verses later, he says again, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So there you go. Obviously, good works, living according to God's law, is very important in Scripture. However, what's not always obvious is that there there is a danger when it comes to good works. And that might sound very strange, Uh, Danger when it comes to good works, how could that be? Well, the danger comes when we don't keep good works in their proper place. If we have a wrong view of them, the results can actually be disastrous. So we hope to see this afternoon, Scripture gives some warnings in this regard too, and it also teaches us uh, the right way, the right perspective. And so I appreciate God's word this afternoon under the following theme, keep good works in their proper place. We'll see that our good works, first of all, do not give us a right standing before God. Uh, secondly, they are rewarded by God's grace. And finally, they flow from our union with Christ. 
So Lord's Day 24 begins by asking, but why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Now, the Catechism here is speaking about our justification before God. Justification is all about how God the judge declares us just or righteous before him. Justification is about gaining a right standing with God. And it's of the greatest importance to get this right. After all, justification is all about how we are received into God's favor as sinners. It's about how we escape eternal punishment. So it's very important to get justification right. I came across a quote from the Puritan Thomas Watson recently. He said this about justification. Justification is the pillar of Christianity. An error about justification is dangerous, like a defect in a foundation. Justification by Christ is a spring of of the water of life. To have the poison of corrupt doctrine cast into this spring is damnable. So he saw the importance of getting justification right. And this is why we need to understand good works in relation to our justification, how God declares us righteous before him. Catechism is asking, do our good works that we do, do they count in any way towards our justification, our our right standing with God? And the answer is an emphatic no. No, they do not. But why? Why is that the case? Why can't our good works be placed at this point so that by them we gain a right standing before God? Well, Scripture answers this for us. Uh, We read from Galatians 4. We could have read from Other parts of the book of Galatians 2, Galatians 3 verse 10 says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So do you see why it's so important to keep good works in their proper place? All who rely on works of the law in order to gain a right standing with God are under a curse. That's because we can never do everything in the law perfectly to gain that right standing. As the Catechism puts it, the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. And it's similar to what we read in Galatians 5. Uh, The Galatian Christians were in danger of seeking their justification partly through their own effort. And Paul warns them strongly, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. It's very strong. And so keeping good works in their proper place means keeping them out of our justification before God. It means not making our good works a part of the righteousness by which we are accepted by God. And to press this point home, the Bible sometimes uses the image of a slave. See, Scripture warns us against certain types of slavery. Uh, One slavery the Bible warns against is trying to earn your place in God's family. Trying to earn the right to God's inheritance. And God is clear in Scripture that we can't do this. And if we try to do this, we will fail. No one earns their place in God's family. And no one earns a right to God's inheritance. See, what does Scripture say? The slaves in a household do not have a right to the inheritance, but the children do. And we know that from our own experience. Children are naturally the heirs. And we do not become children of God uh, by our own effort in any way, by any, uh, in any way. Just think of yourself. None of you earned your way into your family. You were born into it. It's the same thing in God's family. We do not enter God's family by our own works. Christ has done that for us. And we are born into it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And think of the example found in our reading in Galatians 4. Abraham had two children by two different women. One was born of a slave woman, Ishmael, through Hagar. One was born by a free woman, Isaac, through Sarah. And which one of these children received the inheritance? It was Isaac, one born of the free woman, the child of promise. The Spirit says through Paul that these things can be interpreted allegorically. Those who try to receive God's inheritance by the way of the flesh, by their efforts, are under slavery. They're children according to the flesh only, and they will fail in their attempts and will not receive the inheritance. What does the Apostle Paul write in verse 30? What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. But on the other hand, those who receive God's inheritance by the way of God's promise, by faith in the promise, are true children. They're children born from above by the Spirit, by believing that promise of God, apart from our own effort. We receive the promise through faith by the power of God's Spirit, had nothing to do with our good works We receive it as a gift by faith. 
And they are the ones who are the heirs. And that is why good works must be kept in their proper place. That brings us to our second point. Well, given what we've just looked at in the first point, we might then ask, well, what about rewards then? After all, Scripture does talk about rewards, and that is certainly true. Um, we see this come up in the next question and answer of Lord's Day 24, but do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? And there's one problematic word here in this question that can trip us up. It's not the word reward. Scripture shows that God does reward. But the problematic word is the word earned. That's the idea that we need to avoid. The idea that our good works earn something. That they merit something before God. The Catechism highlights this when it says, any any reward we we receive, and we may receive rewards from God, they're not earned, they're a gift of grace. See, it's impossible that we could ever earn something from God. When a person works, his wages are properly earned. The boss owes something to his employee for the work completed. But God never owes us something in that way. We are indebted to him, and we always will be. He is never indebted to us. You will never have a situation where you can say to God, I've done this, Lord, and now you owe me that. Yes, God rewards good works. We don't need to shy away from saying that. It's scriptural. And he does this generally when his commandments are obeyed. A life of obedience is a good life. God has designed this world so that life flourishes when we obey his commandments. It cannot be any other way. And there's also a general sense in which the way of sin brings suffering and and the way of obedience brings well-being, wholeness, peace. I mean this in the sense that sin will always damage life. But obedience to God, on the other hand, will cause life to flourish. So there is that general sense in which God rewards good works, obedience to him. God sometimes also rewards specific works. And God does these things also so that he would emphasize what a life pleasing to him is. But even so, we should still be on guard. Be on guard against that worker, boss mentality in our relationship to God. It's so easy to slip into the mode where we say, I'm doing such and such, and so Rewards must surely be coming my way. You know, it's actually going to really damage your faith if you are working with the idea that God owes me X for doing Y. See, what happens when you don't get it? Or when you have been doing something good and 
You've been doing your best to obey God in all your life, and then suffering comes into your life. What do you do then? Well, you might get angry at the Lord. You might think that God is a bad boss and will start serving someone else or something else. This was a very problem with the older son in the parable of the prodigal son. The elder brother in that parable, he became angry when the father showed grace to the younger brother. You see, the, the father's grace to that younger brother who had sinned so badly didn't fit with the older brother's work-pay scheme in his relationship to his dad. So when the father held a banquet because his uh, younger son returned, the, the older brother refused to celebrate. He even said to his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, uh, you killed the fattened calf for him. Right? Can you see his, his slavish attitude? Literally, the elder brother says, all these years I've been slaving for you, father. His father replied, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. See, that older brother in that parable, he needed to put away his worker boss mentality in his relationship to his father. And we need to put it away in our relationship to God. Yes, there is a scriptural sense in, in which we are servants and even slaves of God. That's fitting language too at times. But we're not slaving away to get something from the Lord. We need to first think of our relationship to God as a father child relationship. We are serving God in the sense of dearly loved, a dearly loved child delighting to serve his or her father. And it delights God to see his children serving him in that sense, freely, lovingly. And it's in that context that we should think also of God's rewards for good works. I think, think of parents might sometimes reward their children for certain things. And in this regard, I appreciate an illustration one of my former ministers once used, which stuck with me. He said that when he was a boy living at home with his parents, one day he decided to wash his dad's car. His father didn't ask him to do it, but he wanted to do it anyways. So by his own initiative... He got out some cleaning supplies and the garden hose, and he washed the car. Now, being fairly young, the job he did washing the car was far from perfect. There were streaks left in numerous places, and some spots were barely washed at all. And yet, when his father saw what his son did, he rewarded him with a little bit of money. How did that child earn or merit something from his father and how he washed the car? No, it was an imperfect job. In fact, if you got your car washed at a 
local car wash and they left it that way, you would probably become angry. Here, the son lovingly wanted to do something for his father, an imperfect job, and yet the father still rewarded him for it. That's a good way to understand the reward God gives our good works. The reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Brings us to our last point. Now, the catechism naturally brings up another question, then. But does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? And that's quite often the objection that comes up when uh, people hear uh, the teaching of justification by faith alone. And you know what? The Apostle Paul himself anticipated that objection. Right after describing our justification in Christ uh, through God's free gift of grace, he then asked, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. And yes, it is true that some people might twist Scripture's teaching on this. They might use God's free gift as an excuse to embrace a life of sin. But that's not the reasoning true believers use. Remember, God is our Father. And He does not want us living lives of cruel slavery. Now, we saw in the first point that this means we can't earn our way into his family. We can't work to gain our inheritance. But there is another sense in which God does not want us in slavery. God, our Father, will not have his children living in the slavery of sin. You know, think think of parents with their own children. Which of you parents desires to see your children enslaved to destructive behaviors? I'm sure none of you do. Well, that's how God, what God the Father wants. Uh, God the Father does not want us enslaved to sin. And so he not only adopts us freely by his grace in Christ, apart from our works, But then he also gives us the power, having adopted us, he gives us the power to set us free from slavery to sin. He gives us the power to obey him through Christ, his his son. See, it's Christ who gives us the strength to say no to to the ugly slavery of sin. It's Christ who gives us the desire to say yes to that beautiful, willing uh, service to God. Willing service to God for His grace. And it's Christ who gives us the power to bear the fruit of righteousness. We saw this in our reading from John 15. There Christ gives the image of the vine And the branches, Christ is the true vine, in him is life. We as God's people are the branches. We are in Christ. We are grafted into him, as the catechism says. 
So we are joined to Christ. And Christ gives us the power to bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Just as a vine gives the power to a branch to bear fruit. And it is impossible that those who are united to Christ by the Spirit should not bear fruit. Christ says in John 15, verse 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, in our service to God, our delightful service to God, we are not working all by ourselves to bear fruit. We are not trying to bear fruit in order to be accepted by God. No, we are in Christ, and so we are accepted by God in Christ. And it is in Christ that we bear fruit by God's, or Christ's power working in us. If we are in Christ, it's impossible that our, our lives would not be changed. And they will be changed through faith in Christ. It's impossible that those who are alive in Christ keep living as if they were dead in sins. It just does not make any sense. We have been changed. And we see this same message whenever we also celebrate the Lord's Supper. What is one of the messages, the central messages, the Lord's Supper proclaims to us? Well, it's the same message Christ gives in John 15. We need to be in Christ and He in us. We need to be grafted into Him. And it proclaims that we are grafted into Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are in Him. He is in us. It's through this union with Christ that we are renewed more and more, and we will become like Christ. Whenever you partake of the Lord's Supper, be reminded and assured that Christ lives in you. He lives in you by faith. He is the vine, we are the branches. We receive life in Him, spiritual life, to serve God. And as Christ says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing hymn 28, the stanzas 1, 5, and 6.